0: Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley.
1: And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. I am your host. Thank you so much for being tuned in for another episode. We've got a lot to get to over the course of the next hour or so as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Before we get into anything, let's do our normal housekeeping items, as we always do, to start the program. If you uh, do listen to us on Apple Podcasts and can leave a ranking or a review, that would be great. That helps us move up the list a little bit. And if you ever want to get in contact with me, you can do so. The best way is via Twitter, where you can get at me, at Matt Polly on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You can also always email me if you would like. Matt.Pauli at wtmj.com. Here's what we've got coming up on the program this week. We are going to be joined by Tim Muma of Brew Crew Ball. He's going to join us during our social media conversation, one of our uh, regular guests on the show. And our Down on the Farm segment is going to be a little bit different this week, and I'll tell you why it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, Three of the four full-season teams have hit their all-star break. And what we're going to do is kind of reset and tell you where those teams are at if any of them have uh, clinched a playoff spot and one of them has. We'll get into that and look ahead to the All-Star games for those respective leagues as well as Brewers prospects are certainly going to be uh, playing some All-Star games coming up this week. So no guests in or down on the farm report this week. Instead uh, we are just going to uh, go through some things and kind of give you uh, more of a nuts and bolts update on where everything is in terms of the Brewers minor league teams. As I start off this week, I've been thinking about this a lot and a lot of times, I get caught off guard by some of the comments that are made by callers or even social media folks when I'm doing uh, the Brewers Extra Innings uh, post game show on WTMJ. And look, I I always know there's going to be a vocal minority of people who believe things that I don't believe, and that's fine. We can all believe different things. I'm a I'm amazed how many phone calls we do get from people who think Craig Council has no clue what he's doing as a manager. You can take issue with some moves that he made. In fact, I take I take an issue at least with a move he made this past week, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But to say he's a bad manager I think is crazy. And to see how much this team has been able to overachieve really from the moment he got here, or at least into his first full season as the manager of the club, I think it's pretty clear that he, he's got a pretty good idea of what he's doing. The, the issues this past week kind of revolve around the bullpen. Not kind of, they do revolve around the bullpen. And something we saw as the Brewers got off to their great start was a pretty high percentage of the games that the Brewers won, they won in tight fashion but they were able to take fairly early leads, and then everything kind of fell into place. We've seen recently the Brewers have not had as many leads late in games, or they've been winning games huge as they have uh, some of these Philadelphia games, so they didn't really need to go to any of their high-leverage relievers. And all of a sudden, what's kind of been brought into play is... The way the bullpen is used when the team is trailing, but it's a small margin, when they're down one or they're down two, but more often than not, when they're down one. That's why a lot of people took issue with Boone Logan coming in to pitch Saturday's game when it was a one-run game. Now, that doesn't impact the win or the loss there. It doesn't. It was 2-1 at the time. They end up losing 4-1. You would have liked to have seen him pitch better, but they don't, it's not a situation where that game gets over and you say, well, if Craig Council doesn't bring Boone Logan and they win that game. No, that's not the case. But if, we're, if, if the Brewers would have scored two more runs and it ends 4-3, we could be having a little bit of a different conversation. And then you fast forward to Sunday's game, which the Brewers lose to the Phillies 10-9. And this is the toughest type of game to evaluate. Because this is a five-run game going to the bottom of the ninth inning. This is a four-run game What going into the eighth inning, or at least in the bottom of the eighth inning. So this is, this is a game that is a multiple-run lead for Philadelphia, and then it turns into a one-run win for Philadelphia. And it's oh so easy to go back through that game When you lose by one run and a lot of runs are scored, and say, well, if this would have happened here, if this person wouldn't have come in here, so on and so forth. Craig Council can't be expected to manage a game that his team is losing by multiple runs the same way he would manage a game that he was winning by one or two runs with the idea that they'll come back. Because it's about managing a bullpen. You've got a finite amount of innings that you can get probably from your high leverage relievers. So we're talking Jeremy Jeffers, we're talking Corey Knable, we're talking Josh Hader. You, you, You are careful in the games in which you pitch those guys because you want to make sure they end up being available. Now this isn't totally a clean example because Jeremy Jeffers did pitch this game when it was tight early on. Corey Knable came in late, but really, Knable was coming in to get work. Knable wasn't coming in for any reason other, to, other than to get work. And the run that he gave up there in the ninth inning, at the time, it didn't seem to matter. Now, in hindsight, it, it means a lot because that ends up being the winning run. But it, it's a It's a tough deal right now for Craig Council when you're not winning games close as much recently. So you have not used your high leverage relievers quite as much. And then you have back to back situations like you had on Saturday and Sunday where you go to Boone Logan and it doesn't work out. And the explanation is, well, this is his job. So this is what he needs to do, even though you look at it and you say he hasn't been in position to really make you feel confident of putting him in that position. And then you go into Sunday and it's really easy to sit there and say, Well, what was Taylor Williams doing when he was in the game at the time? What was what was Adrian Hauser doing? Why was Hauser allowed to continue to pitch there? Even when he was literally throwing up on the mound? Well, it's we're not having these discussions. We're not having the discussion if A The Brewers end up losing that game by five runs, and it makes all the sense in the world that, of course, an Adrian Hauser would be pitching in that situation. Or if the Brewers would have been able to complete the comeback, we wouldn't be having this conversation either. It's a worst-case scenario in terms of second-guessers because they get back within one run. And it's so easy to say, well, Adrian Hauser shouldn't have been pitching there. Because you end up losing by one run, and what does he do? He gives up one run. But at the time of that game, he had to pitch, and Craig Council cannot manage games his team is losing by multiple runs using the same guys that he would use in close games, because you're going to just then all of a sudden the same three guys are coming out of the bullpen every day. And I was a little surprised. I was a little. I I feel I. I don't mean to talk down to anybody. I'm certainly not doing that. But I feel like what I just said is basically common knowledge. It's something that most people understood. I was I was really surprised how many people were upset that Adrian Hauser was pitching. And maybe it had to do with the fact that he was throwing up on the mound and he was allowed to stay in there. But guy wasn't sick. Guy, guy may have been a little bit dehydrated, but it's not like he was under the weather, sick, and everybody said he was fine when he came back in. It was a, it was an unfortunate situation, but he really he pitched okay. He gave up a run, yeah, but all things considered, and where the game was at at that time, it's not like he pitched that poorly. That's my take on it. If you want to comment on it, you can do so, especially via Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Tim Mewman going to join us in the social media conversation. We're also going to do a minor league roundup coming up uh, later on in the program. But right now, let's get to this week's headlines of the week.
0: It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week.
1: Last week when we did the program, the team had just acquired Brad Miller from the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for G-Man Choi. We spent a lot of time on the podcast last week. He has uh, been at Colorado Springs. He has played some shortstop at Colorado Springs. You would think that he's going to find his way up and be with the Brewers sooner than later, but uh, don't for sure know when that's going to be. Uh, We saw Hernan Perez play some shortstop both on Saturday and on Sunday, and it, it was very deliberate. In fact, at one point, he and Eric Sogard were in the game at the same time. Previously this year, I feel like if those two were in the same time, It would have been Sogard at short and Perez at second. Well, when Perez came into the game, Sogard moved from short to second. So they're obviously trying to give Aaron Perez some time at shortstop. And what that really does is it opens up a door for Brad Miller to possibly walk through. Because then you don't have to worry so much about him playing short. If you're if you're good with Aaron Perez, if you feel like he's good enough defensively, and that his bat is going to uh, make up for the defense that uh, you lose by not having Orlando Arcia in, and you feel more comfortable with Brad Miller at second base, then then that's the move. And uh, that is something that uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. By the time you're listening to this, there, there's a chance that Brad Miller has been called up. I would expect him to be with the Brewers. If we're doing the podcast next week and he has not yet been called up, I'll be surprised, and I will say on the podcast next week that I was surprised. From an injury standpoint, uh, this past week, uh, pitcher Matt Albers went on to the 10-day uh, disabled list. He's dealing with a right shoulder injury, so he's uh, going to spend uh, a little bit of time there. He had uh, His effectiveness had dropped a little bit prior to him going on the disabled list, so if nothing else, a good opportunity to uh, get him uh, just some time. Uh, it doesn't sound like the injury is that serious, but just get him some time. Eric Thames activated for from the disabled list and He had a pretty good week, including hitting two home runs in Sunday's game, so uh, that was good. Uh, The Brewers did their normal thing where they uh, send up and send down that last guy in the bullpen. Jorge Lopez was up, then he was down. Adrian Hauser, who we just talked about, he was up. In all likelihood, he'll be the guy who's sent down uh, coming up very soon because Freddie Peralta is going to start on Tuesday. They're going to need a a spot there. And uh, Finally, uh, the Brewers complete a trade. They send Wendell Riho, an infielder. He had to the New York Yankees that was to complete the Eric kratz trade uh Wendell Rio was originally part of the Aaron Hill trade, so he came from uh, the Red Sox to the brewers and now he ends up going to the yankees organization that is this week's headlines of the week
0: after every brewers game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now
1: Brewers X Journeys, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Happy to uh, welcome back onto the program one of our regulars here in the social media conversation. His name is Tim Muma. You can read him at Brew Crew Ball. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Muma, which is M-U-M-A. Tim, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing? Doing great, Matt. I love being on, and I always appreciate the time. Before we get anything Brewers related, we're talking on Sunday night, you're involved in coaching give a give a little self-gloss here talk about uh y- your group of kids that you're coaching uh did something pretty cool so uh talk about your group here for a moment before we get into brewer stuff
2: <laughs> i appreciate that uh yeah i'm fortunate enough to have coached a long time in this I'm coaching my son's uh u8 UH greenfield hawks uh, select team here in greenfield wisconsin and uh I took a chance of having a tournament on Father's Day weekend, but uh, the boys came through, went 4-0 and this weekend, and won the tournament out in uh, Pewaukee, so, uh, you know, uh, always proud that the, the boys put their heart and, and soul into what we do, and uh, obviously, as you know, and everybody who follows sports, when, when you're able to find that success, and then the work pays off, uh, you know, it, it makes everybody feel good, and especially the dads today, I think they, they took a little extra enjoyment out of it, so, uh, but yeah, shout out to the Greenfield Junior Hawks, all the... All the kids who play uh have a u eight and a u twelve kid playing um uh, and all the families that that participate they're awesome so uh thank you for giving me that opportunity
1: yeah and that's a that's a tough deal for parents and families i mean there's there's travel involved there's cost involved there's that is a commitment it's not just about the kids it's a it's an entire family deal
2: yeah it really is and you know uh, not just from our side with the coaching stuff but uh, but all the families and yeah, uh, we really have been blessed. Uh, both my older son over the last few years with the families that that we've had, and uh, even this new team kind we're starting. We have a number of kids we already knew, but uh, a lot of new families with the U8 team. And uh, you know, we do ask a lot from them. We we understand you got other stuff going on. We do a, a practice once a week during the winter, but we want them playing other sports. Uh, but there's a commitment there, and uh, you know, you get the right group of people, the right group of kids, the right parents, family, and they understand it. Uh, it really is fun to see everything come together and. Um, you know, as I said, when the hard work pays off, it sort of makes everybody feel good like, hey, we're in the right spot, it's all been worth it and uh you know, and it goes beyond just the sport it's it's the camaraderie it's it's the learning lessons, all that stuff um that's why I love coaching on top of just you know obviously baseball being the greatest game on earth so uh, uh yeah, I appreciate all those parents out there and, and everyone who volunteers um you know some people wonder why people do it, but if you're really involved, you definitely get it.
1: All right, let's let's jump into the Brewers and let's let's start off a little hot here because uh, the last couple of days, it's sometimes I try to listen to people's criticisms of a team and then maybe try to dig a little deeper and figure out the root cause. And over the last couple of days, uh, the Boone Logan coming into the game in a one-run game on Saturday, obviously mm-hmm. a lot of people had issues with that doesn't cost the team a win because it was 2-1 it went to 4-1 but it was a it was an interesting move one that i probably didn't agree with uh and then even in sunday's game when the game was a little bit out of hand i heard people who complained about adrian hauser being allowed to stay out there even when uh when he was throwing up and and other complaints about the bullpen and i've been thinking about it and i feel like craig council manages brewers games one way when the team is winning close, another way when the team is winning big, and then if the team is losing, it doesn't matter if they're losing by one run or losing by multiple runs, it kind of seems like maybe he's going off the same song sheet, and that's a, that's very simplified. That's probably not completely fair of me to say, but all that being said, I, I like Craig Council, I like the way he manages games, but I thought over the last couple of days it's been sort of interesting to look at the way he is using the bullpen and maybe what that says about his usage, especially when the team is losing by a, by a, a run or two.
2: Yeah, I think you can see a pattern like, like you alluded to there. Um, obviously in the way that you see it especially, he really wants to save them. Not necessarily for the end of games, but in, in spots where they can shut down the opponent when they have that close lead, or sometimes when they're tied. Uh, and I get it, I have at least a template to go by uh, that way you're you're consistent and players even though they might not know when exactly they're coming into a game, they can kind of get a feel for, okay, the game's going this direction I need to get ready, I need to be in the right mindset, that kind of thing uh, like you said, where you might get a little shade if you're only down, if you're down a couple runs and it's a 6th, 7th inning, you're far from out of it, you know, I mean, and obviously the offense is up and down like most offenses, but uh, you know, 2-3 runs might not be a thing in, in a couple innings, so uh, sometimes, yeah, like you said the, the Logan one, I think they're still trying to figure out, can we get guys out? Um, and I think it's getting close to that point where they have to say, you know, we just can't trust him and if you can't trust them, you know they're gonna go elsewhere and see Oliver Drake. Um, so I get what he's doing. I think it's a, a way to try to save some of the arms too. I mean, obviously, if you're down four or five runs, you know late in the game, that's when you might put in what would be your 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 worst quote unquote reliever and and just let him go out there and can get those outs for you. Uh, you do wonder as the season goes on, even if you're down a run or two, and you know you're, you're in these close games with uh, some of the, your division rivals, and you're fighting for a playoff spot. You know that maybe he does change the script a little bit and, and fight a little bit more in those games. But you know, I think it's good that he has a plan. Um, you know, once in a while, I think you got to divert from that a little bit. But it's worked out. Obviously, I mean, it's hard for people to complain too much. I think going into today, there tied for the best records in the National League or they're right up there. And uh, I I think obviously we're nitpicking at this point because everybody's excited and they want to see wins every day. And, um, you know, it's just not going to work out even when you throw your best relievers out there. So I think it will continue to evolve as we go throughout the season. And it might depend on, you know, again, just bullpen usage and how many days they got off and how many games are coming up. So uh, I think it's too but Overall, I think it's hard to complain too much about what
1: they've done with the bullpen. No, I, and I agree and we absolutely are nitpicking and this is the fun stuff that we get to talk about a little bit especially when a team is winning. I think if you have a good positive attitude about it and aren't, you know, overly negative, that's uh that's the good way to look at it. He's in a he's in a really tough situation with Josh Hader when they're consistently winning tight games, it's fine right. because Josh Hader pitching often just happens. But now, you know, Josh Hader's pitching once a week, and he's in that darned-if-you-do, darned-if-you- don't state, because all of a sudden finally he says, okay, I haven't pitched Josh Hader in a week, I gotta get him in a game. And he goes and pitches, and Hader never pitches back-to-back games. More often than not, he gets at least two days off between starts if he's gonna go, or between outings if he's gonna go multiple innings. So you know internally, he's worried that he's putting Josh Hader you know, in today when he really needs him tomorrow. But you don't Know what tomorrow brings, and I feel like that's what we're watching right now. This uh, you're almost scared to use hater just to get him the work that he needs because you don't want to blow an opportunity to possibly help uh, you know, have him help you win a game the next day.
2: Yeah, that's certainly the the spot he's in. I agree 100%. Uh, it's a lot of times with how other managers have done with closures. I mean, obviously, even Knable. Uh, when he got hurt, there are people complaining. Why oh, is he in in a game where they're down big and blah blah blah? It's like like you said, you gotta get work in. I mean, otherwise, these guys do get rusty. Yes, they're major leaguers, but you know you can lose it really quickly. That feel, uh, you know, for your pitches when you when you're in a ball game. Um, but like you said, at some point though, you gotta get them work, and maybe that's when he decides to put them in when they're down a run or two. I mean, I know everyone likes to point out the. The Brewers' record, um, I guess, I haven't checked in the last couple of days. I think they're still undefeated when Hayter pitches.
1: They've lost one um, game you know, so far.
2: It, oh, okay, okay. Oh, that's right, that's right. Um, so, you know, and it's great to look at that record and everything, but it's like you said, it's how they use them, it's when they use them. Uh, so maybe it gets to a point where, like you said, we got to throw him in there, even if it's to get, you know, one or two outs, just to get him out there, and then maybe the next day he can still come back and throw it because he's only thrown 12 pitches as opposed to, 30 or 35 in his multi-inning stints. Um, you know, it'll, again, be interesting how Council handles it with Hader and Canable at the back end, too. Uh, you've seen him mix it up, even when Knable has come back, as far as uh, that quote-unquote closer role, or do you go with Hader to, to close out the last two innings of a game? Uh, you know, He's a really interesting pitcher to look at, because we all know his stuff can be nasty, and he can just be deadly, especially against some of the tough left-handed hitters, but to your point, if he doesn't stay sharp, it's he can lose it really quickly. I mean, obviously his um, command is something that in the past there were some questions about. So you just hope that he finds a good groove again. The Brewers are in these tight games where we're out those skills. Like, okay, let's go to him now and let's win this game tonight worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. As we record
1: on Sunday night, they're just coming off a series against Philadelphia where they lost two of three. But earlier in the week, they take two of three against Chicago. And that was a team that they had... Really struggled against and i've always been of the belief that yeah I thought that series in Chicago with the bad weather was really fluky, and the fact that you know if they were getting blown out by the Cubs every game that would have uh, concerned me more than the way the games went, so i wasn't surprised when they took two out of three in the same sense that last game which they won by uh by a one nothing score they that could have you were a bloop and a blast away from losing that game and I don't think even if you lose that game you would have felt any differently about this Brewers team or at least I wouldn't have even though they lost two out of three so it's it's hard to like judge and uh really say how much winning a series from the Cubs means so I'll ask you what does it mean to you that they were able to take two out of three from Chicago? Of course it's
2: a positive I think at least mentally, it's more of a uh, an uplifting experience for the fans, uh, because I think you know, as we know, fans in general, and those I'm saying that are more casual and not necessarily diving into the numbers, uh, you know, they get a little antsy with that kind of stuff. I mean, that was plastered all over the place when the Brewers were one in seven against the Cubs, and they're beating everybody else at a great clip. And my argument was great. Like you play everybody else. 140 times, you play the Cubs, you know, 19 times or whatever. So I'd I'd rather it be that way. I know it stinks, but in the end, it would work out for the Brewers. Uh, that last game of the series, that you talked about, I, I was sort of watching while I was at work, and uh, you know, I did I did tweet out like they were like, begging to lose that game again, was kind of like the ones they lost earlier this year, those games they lost uh, at the end of last year at that series in Milwaukee. It felt like it was going to be the same same thing. So the fact that they did pull it out. I think you got to take something from that. Because it won them the series, they shut up the Cubs back-to-back, they had how many chances in that game to add on runs, and they couldn't do it, And yet they still found a way to win. So I think that will help them mentally as you go through the season and, and realize, hey, we can handle these tight games against good teams, including the Cubs, who seemingly had their number or whatever. Uh, I don't know that it's like as big a deal for the players as, as the fans might make it, because they know they got another... Series this week and another series that week, and they're going on the road, and you know it, it's just every day for them. Whereas fans get a little more, uh, you know, pumped up for each of these individual uh, meetings with the Cubs, especially. So I do think mentally it does a little bit positive, and obviously making sure they at least at that point stayed in first place, and it wasn't like oh they blew it, now they're going to get you know run out of town again by the Cubs like they did last year. So um, yeah, I think you take it for what it's worth. It's a series win against a good team. If you want to look at it, you got monkey off the bat, off your back a little bit. That's great. Um, you know the bats still weren't great against the Cubs, but I think the encouraging part is pitching has continued to be good, both the starting side and the relieving side. So uh, you know, it'll be interesting to they play them again here shortly, and uh, and then when you go from there, how it might impact them. Or and you know they could go to Wrigley and get swept. I mean that's just the way baseball is. You have a good week, you have a bad week, and uh, sometimes it doesn't even matter who you're playing. Against
1: you mentioned the the you know leaving some opportunities there especially in that final game against the cubs and uh, we saw that in the Sunday finale against the uh, against the Phillies. It's it feels almost wrong to criticize the offense in a in a game where they put up nine runs. But that being said, they put up nine runs, but they also uh, end up going three for 16 with runners in scoring position, and they ale- allow 11 on. It seemed like it was a it was a good run scoring environment on Sunday. Uh, their situational numbers, I think, are actually a little bit better than people think they are they're hitting 235 with runners in scoring position that's obviously not good but it's it's not the worst they're hitting 265 with runners on in scoring position and two outs that's not a horrible number either that's a that's a better spot than they've been in I think even last year uh, but are you concerned that it does seem like at times this team has a really hard time coming up with that proverbial big hit
2: you know, that's one of those things where because you're watching your team every day or almost every day, it definitely feels like you know, our team must be the worst at this. We never get that run since they were less than two outs. We never get these big two-out hits at the run-in-sperm position. Um, you know, it just feels like it kind of catastrophize those things because we see it every day, or at least we see them struggle on a somewhat consistent basis. Uh, I think there always can be some concern there. You know, overall, it's a power-hitting team. You have a couple of guys who are, are more contact-related, and they'll, they'll fight for you in those spots. But, you know, they're just guys that are going to swing and miss a lot, whether it's because of their approach, whether it's because of their, their type of swing that they have, um, whether it's because you have some guys struggling overall right now you know, for pretty much most of the season. Um, so I think there's always going to be some concern there. People have to realize, we see it all the time, I, I'm not in the complete no-bunt, no-sacrifice-bunt, all that kind of stuff. I, I'm not against bunting on a whole I think mean, mostly you should avoid it. it. It doesn't really help you in the long run, but people kind of need to get over that. It's not going to happen with this team. It's not the way Council manages. It's not the way their players are. It's not the skill set they have. Um, so, really, it's going to come down to guys just finding ways to put the bat on the ball with a guy in third and less than two outs or getting the ball to the right side. Um, I know sometimes you look at the numbers or the sabermetric side of it and they say, well, that, you know, productive outs aren't that great, blah, blah, blah. But I, I'll tell you, from coaching a lot of years, and I know I've never been in the major leagues, but those one run here, one run there, where you just tack on or you chip away, those make a difference by the end of the game and by the end of the season, you look back and you see all those opportunities. So, I think it's something, you know, it's not something they can change as far as necessarily their approach. I mean, the players are what they are. Uh, Maybe mentally, they they can have conversations about that and depending on the type of picture they're facing, all that stuff can come into play. Um, But in the end, they're probably going to be about similar as they have been most of the year. Sometimes luck plays a factor with that. Um, There's a lot of talk about that with runners in scoring position, uh, batting average, runners in scoring position. It's sort of a a luck stat, so to speak, where it fluctuates year to year. Um, I remember there was a year the Cardinals were hitting like 330 with runners in scoring position. The next season they're hitting like 240 with most of the same guys. So. You know, you can't always figure that out. You don't always have an answer for it. Um, I just, You just got to hope you get the right guys in the right spot, and, and sometimes they, they put the ball in play. Um, but it, it's something that I do think the best teams find ways to get those runs in when they need them. And it's not always going to happen, but maybe more often than not. So if that's something they can improve upon, um, it will obviously up it off a little bit. I think last I saw their seventh in run score, I want to say, in the National League. So, I mean, middle of the road. I think if you start tacking on those runs, that's where
1: you move up to that top five range. They, uh, the, from a middle infield spot, specifically defensively or offensively, and short, that's shortstop. Orlando Arcia just continues to struggle. And he's so good defensively, and obviously that's keeping him uh, in the lineup for when he does play. When Tyler Saladino was going strong, he was doing enough offensively to be an upgrade because the what he was doing offensively kind of covered up the defense you lost with him in there. Uh, Brad Miller is going to be part of this team at some point in time. We've seen Aaron Perez play more shortstop recently. I feel like that's kind of a route to getting uh, Miller to the Brewers because if they're not confident with Miller at shortstop, if you are, if you do feel comfortable enough with Perez there, when he's swinging it well and he's swung it pretty good over the last few days, then at the very least you can bring Miller up and he can play a little bit of uh, second base. But where do you stand on this right now, this middle infield thing? I mean, uh, Jonathan VR has done a nice job. He's hitting 276. He's uh, he's improved his defense. He's improved his base running. But it seems like they're trying to be creative to find a way to just get some offense out of shortstop and maybe that's going to result in Aaron Perez being over there we don't know what's going to happen with Brad Miller but obviously you can't have um, you you can have Orlando Arcia probably hitting even 250 and that's fine for what he does but he's basically a 200 hitter don't you need at least a little bit more out of Arcia than that
2: I think you do in part because if you're looking at one side or the other the the offense in general has struggled more than the pitching-slash-defense. And part of that is because the defense has been so good, uh, you know, as far as helping out the pitchers. Uh, You know, it's a really tough spot I think the Brewers are in because, you know, Stearns is never going to be in a complete win-now mode, so I don't think you're going to look at it that way. But, you know, you see you're in first place, one of the best records in the league, and you're getting almost nothing out of your shortstop as far as offensive production goes. It's really hard to, you know, especially Pena not exactly hitting the cover off the ball either, you're looking at your seven, eight, nine hitters every day, and just hoping they get on base, hoping they find a way to get a hit, and that's really tough in the majors. I mean, even the National League, even with the scoring environment you might have now, um, you know, Saladino seemed like a good stopgap situation. You know, he's fine defensively; he's nothing great, um, and like you said, his bat was going hot. I'm not a big believer or fan of, of Perez personally. I think his his value really is just a completely you know, balled up in his versatility, but I don't know. I feel like he's a guy you, if you play more consistently, the bat really, really kind of uh, gets exposed a little bit um, defensively. You know, I know in the past couple years he's played shortstop here or there. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if he really has that uh, that ability to be a consistent guy at shortstop either. Um, you know, second base, like you said, VR, I think he's done a solid job. I'd like to see him just consistently get time. I think he's one of the guys who needs to play every day. I think the on again, off again hurts a guy like him, um, similar to Domingo Santana, in my opinion, too. Um, but I had a, a friend of mine who coaches high school also, and he, he just asked, uh, you know, why don't they try VR at short? I mean, he did play there a couple of years ago, and I think they are just they just really don't believe in his, his defensive abilities at shortstop either. So they're in a tough spot. Brad Miller's probably in the same boat as far as he's probably maybe okay at short. Um, You know, he would be there just for some power, really, especially in Miller Park with the left-handed stick second base he'd probably be fine there too. But I I think they're really looking for kind of that lightning in the ball like they got from Sogard last year. And it appeared they had it with Saladino. And I think if they had all these options available right now, RC probably would be in triple A getting regular at bats because I think that's what he needs to, to find his stroke again. But uh yeah it's hard to it's hard to see him out there all the time, uh, really struggling, fighting himself so much and you know <laughs> I don't think as much out there as far as options as a trade, I don't think Machado is a fit or, or someone they're gonna go get. So yeah, I think it's one of those things you have to keep grinding out, maybe play mix and match at short and uh, you know, if President's is out hand and they think he's, you know, serviceable at short, that's what you go with. Um the one thing I would just say, honestly, maybe it h help Garcia, maybe it doesn't, is why not hit him ninth? Have the batter or have the pitcher be before him because uh I, I, that can't help him. He's a free swinger, he's got the pitcher on deck. Pitchers know he's going to chase, and that he's struggling. It may not make any difference, but what does it hurt at this point? At least you're doing something to maybe get him out of that that mindset and uh, and help him out as far as having the top of the order behind him versus a, a pitcher behind him.
1: Yeah, that's. I've wondered that kind of internally. I don't know if that's ever been asked of Craig Counts. I'm sure at some point in time he's been given it. He's been asked his opinion on hitting the uh, hitting the pitcher eighth. I don't know where he stands on that. I correct me if i'm wrong I'm, I'm wrong all the time so i might need to be corrected here i don't remember a craig council managed team ever hitting the pitcher eighth
2: are you are you with me on that yeah i i mean maybe i'm just making it up i thought maybe once or twice it happened but i you know i could be wrong i i think like you said i i i miss i miss think misremember that what uh andy pennant's words were i misremember all the time but uh I feel like maybe once or twice. And especially, I don't know, with especially with Suter's pitching, I think that's the way to go, personally. The uh, way he's swinging the bat, he should be hitting A's, and RSB would be nice. Okay.
1: And he's just, you brought him up. He's so much fun. Like everything he does, whether there's nothing routine about Brent Suter. And that's, I'm not, that's not me putting him down. That's a compliment. Everything he does is interesting from, from his pitching to his hitting to his base running. I mean, everything is interesting. And that doesn't even include uh, him impersonating Jim Carrey and cool little videos. It's Brent Suter is just, he's so much fun to watch.
2: Yeah, he's a guy that's easy to root for. I mean, obviously, he may not have the top level talent that you're looking for in your starting rotation, but he, he works really well with what he has and what he's been given. Whether you see it as God given ability or you know what he's worked on, or obviously it's, it's mostly a combination of both. Uh, but you know, he just he like you said, he's fun to watch. He really loves what he's doing. He he was a long shot. You know, he's one of these guys. deep in the draft that has really worked his way, found a niche. He's done a nice job. Um, I think when you're, uh, when you're kind of a no name, almost in Major League baseball, and you get Jim Carrey tweeting at you because you impersonated him so well, I I think you must be doing something right there. But, uh, I've been been impressed with the way he swings the bat. I mean, he goes up there, not afraid, takes his hacks, goes the other way. Obviously the Homer off Kluber, that's, you know, he's never going to forget that one. That might be the highlight of his career. Um, yeah, you, know, you got to give him credit. Like you say, he, he's never—he's someone that nobody or people really haven't believed in. Uh, you know, it sounds cliche, but nobody believed in him, and he's—he's he's made his way. He's found a role, and um, I still think he's best as kind of a swing guy filling in. But hey, if you're getting outs, you're getting outs, and if you can add a little bit with the bat, uh, that, that never hurts your cause.
1: Well, and and I I would have agreed with you maybe if we were talking a couple weeks ago. To me, I feel like he's done enough recently, where he's a legit member of the uh, of the starting rotation. In May, he goes four and one with a three point eight six ERA. In June, he's two and one with a three point one eight ERA. You know, last year it seemed like you put him in the rotation, he'd be good for a game or two, and then all of a sudden it would kind of fall off, and he'd go to the bullpen, and then maybe he'd come back. He's starting to string together pretty good success, and I don't know what's going to happen. Zach Davies is going to go on a rehab assignment starting Tuesday. He's going to get at least three starts. So we're from where we're sitting right now, he's two to three weeks from returning at the earliest. Wade Miley mm-hmm. isn't eligible to return until July 9th off the 60-day disabled list. Obviously, there's going to be some decisions to be made over the course of the next three to six weeks with other starting pitchers. But I don't know how you take Suter out of the rotation if he continues to do what he's done through the months of May and June.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. And, you know, you hear lots of, I think a lot of times, reporters, you know, Um, you know, it seems like when we're talking about things being two, three weeks out, something's going to happen that'll work itself out one way or the other. You know, knock on the wood, it could be an injury, it could just be like a performance, whatever it might be. Uh, and you're right, he's he's earned his spot right now. It'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to make an argument that he should be the one to come out, although, um, you know, who knows, in two, three weeks, maybe he hits a rough patch and you feel like, okay, he's, he sort of been found out a little bit and go back in the bullpen. Uh, I think what's good for the Brewers and obviously they haven't they didn't go out and get a big name pitcher and people are starting to talk about them doing that at the deadline as far as a starter goes. Um, but the thing is, once everyone's healthy, they do have options. I mean, they really can mix and match, kind of like they do with the lineup. Uh, it's just a matter of finding what's the right comfort zone for all these guys and when what works. You know, as far as. Guys need regular work. Guys need to be on that strict rotation. Uh, you know, obviously, when you don't need a fifth guy in the rotation, that gives you some more options there. Um, you know, the Brewers overall have been playing that you know the roster game essentially, with calling guys up and sending them down, and and making that work as best they can. So, I think they have a good handle on it, and, uh, and they probably feel the same way. Like, we're not sure where we're going to be in two, three weeks, and, and we'll kind of figure out where we go or when we get there. Um, but to your point, I mean, Suter definitely has—he's earned his keep so far. Uh, you know, whether he's just zeroed in on what makes him effective, whether he's done a better job simply executing or with the scouting reports, um, you you got to give him credit because he's sort of always been that guy where, like you said, he he gets a few few good starts, then he struggles, and then he gets hit really hard, and then you kind of like, okay, you know, back to your swingman role. So, uh, again, he's an easy guy to root for, it, and I don't care who you are or what you do is. Yeah, if you're wearing the uh, if you're wearing the Brewers uniform, I hope you can succeed, and uh, hopefully they can find a role for him. If it's in the starting rotation, great. If it's some sort of swing role or bullpen, um, hey, whatever helps the team. I think he's the kind of guy that that has no issues doing whatever they need him to do.
1: Last thing for you, this team is pretty good in the starting rotation. They're probably in a situation right now where David Stearns has no need to go. Trade for one of those B-type starting pitchers, but there's a there, there's two, three, four kind of A-level starting pitchers that could potentially be available between now and the trade deadline. How how much do you think if they want to get to where they want to be this year in terms of being a playoff team that maybe has the possibility of winning a series in the playoffs as well? How much do they still need to go get kind of a true number one starter? That's-
2: I mean, the idea of need is really tough here because, like you said, overall the starting pitching and just the pitching as a whole, I I don't even know if they look at everyone as starters and relievers. They sort of just look at guys who get out, and and there are some who start the game and they get more out, and and then you turn over to the the relievers, obviously. But um, I still think it would be great. I, I still think it's something that, to your point, if you get to the postseason or you are coming down the stretch or you get in that wild card game, you want that guy that really feels like an ace that can shut a team down. Um, you know, Anderson's had kind of a rough season. He'll show some flashes and then he goes back to, you know, kind of what you've seen recently where he's given up more home runs and it's really costing him. Um, he doesn't look like the ace, uh, so to speak, like he's been the last year and a half to two years. Uh, and obviously, Gera's looked good and Chassien has looked good, but none of those guys feel like if you need a win, you need a stopper, you need a Playoff victory, you need a wild card victory. I don't think any of us go in feeling like, yeah, this is the guy. He's gonna he's gonna shut him down. So I think there is something to that as far as the mentality of the team uh, being able to trust a guy like that. You bullpen needs you Just needs a day off. You need him to go out there and dominate for seven, eight innings if possible. Uh, you need a big victory. So I need again, relative. Um, I think it does help them help put them over the top. I think part of the issue is though they probably are still are going to be looking for a bat. I mean, you talked about the middle infield. I think they're still going to be looking in that in that area, too, or catcher as well, just just with the struggles. I know Kratz has been a nice little boost here and there, but how long is that going to last uh, realistically? So, you know, you know, there's been talk about the Mets pitchers with, with Syndergaard and DeGrom, and, you know, that would, be, that would be a great get as far as, you know, as long as they're healthy and, and ready to go. Um, I don't know if it's realistic. I don't know that Stearns is really seeking that. If he found the deal that fit, he might do it. Uh, I think it'd be great for the team, both the mentality of the team and the makeup. But uh, I, I guess I see more likely they go after a bat and another bullpen arm because that just seems the way they constructed the team for this year. And, and they're going to they're gonna look to their, their minor leagues in the next couple of years to really get that ace and, and hope that they can continue to roll out these uh, variety of, of guys in the starting rotation.
1: You can follow Tim uh, on Twitter at uh, Tim underscore Muma, M-U-M-A is how you spell uh, his last name. Tim, I know uh, you've been very, very busy uh, coaching the kids like we were talking about earlier. Uh, do you have anything uh, on the hopper? Are you working on anything right now for what you do over at Brew Crew Ball? Uh,
2: unfortunately, I, I haven't. I really want to get to it, but like you said, It's. I'm not complaining by any means. But uh, it's it's been a really busy last month or so. so uh, Hopefully the guys over at Pro Football uh, are too uh, disappointed that I haven't been able to, to turn anything out yet. But um, hopefully in the coming weeks, as we get close to the deadline, I'll probably contribute with some of that stuff as well, um, uh, and, and look to get back on that probably by the end of July, beginning of August, when things flow down a little bit on the coaching front. But uh, again, for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, all the guys there do a great job. Uh, lots of good insight analysis at Pro uh, ball and um, you know definitely a great place to get your news get your opinions and uh feel free to comment on there too i mean we'd like to hear what everybody else has to think and and say as well
1: yeah absolutely the website is uh uh, brewcrewball.com tim it's always great to talk to you uh enjoy your summer and i'm sure we'll catch up again uh
2: very soon awesome always appreciate it thanks a lot
0: The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm.
1: It is time to go down on the farm. Generally, we've got some sort of guest on uh, this segment where we uh, welcome in one of the team broadcasters or we uh, potentially uh, welcome in one of our various minor league experts and do kind of a roundup from top to bottom doing something a little different this week because essentially we are at a mile marker point of the minor league season for the full season clubs that are not AAA Colorado Springs. They reach the halfway point of their season. All-star game is coming up and uh, the records will reset where they'll be looking for a second half championships and for one team they uh, pick up a first half championship. So just a good opportunity to kind of roll through the minor league teams and give you a bit of an update of where they're at and uh, what they're doing we will start though with triple-a colorado springs and uh, they play full season uh, no halves so uh, not not as much to get into here but the sky Sox, uh, as of sunday night are six games back of oklahoma city in the american northern division they are 36 and 31 and a lot of people want to know what is going on with a guy that we uh, talked about earlier in Brad Miller. So far, a nice start for him with uh, Colorado Springs, 308 hitter. He has one home run. He, uh, that's the uh, one run that he's driven in. The problem is the defense. He is already committed to three errors, and all of those errors have come at shortstop. So he is uh, not where you would want him to be defensively, and that continues to have major league implications uh, as far as uh, as far as where he is going to play moving forward all right let's get to the teams who have wrapped up the first half of their seasons and we will start with double-a Biloxi they pick up the southern league south first half championship as they uh, finish out the uh, first half of the season with a record of 41 and 29. They lose the final couple games of the uh, of the first half, but overall, very, very, very good uh, first half for the Shuckers, who have turned into a pretty exciting team. And the way that they won the uh, division was awesome. Uh, Zach Brown had a no-hit bid through 26 outs this past Friday, and he gave up a hit with one out to go. He was one out away from tossing... A no-hitter. So a bit of a bummer, uh, not a bit of a bummer, a pretty major bummer that they don't complete the no-hitter, but still they had reason to celebrate that night as they were able to uh, pick up a first-half championship. Now as far as uh, the All-Star goes, they've got a ton of uh, All-Stars who are going to be uh, taking part in uh, the All-Star game that's going to be uh, going on in Birmingham. Uh, Jake Gatewood, Jake Hager, Corey Ray, Troy Stokes, Zach Brown, Nate Grief, Thomas Jenkins, uh, John Olchak, Nick Ramirez, uh, all chosen as uh, representatives for Biloxi. Now, Nick Ramirez, I believe, got called up to AAA, so he probably won't be appearing in this, but uh, nonetheless... Uh, these guys all end up getting selected. That is quite a group and says a lot about this Biloxi team. That uh, There was some question at the beginning of the season, just from a prospect standpoint, uh, how good they would uh, how good they would be. But they've turned into a pretty solid team. Alright, let's uh, jump down a level. We will go to uh, High A where uh, the Carolina Mudcats, they are actually going to be hosting uh, their league's All-Star game, the uh, Carolina League All-Star game. Uh, Carolina finishes out the first half of the season at 34 and 36 so uh, they'll be happy to have the first half uh, portion of the season come to an end where they'll be able to reset those records and see what uh, they can do as far as the all-stars for uh, the Carolina uh, for, the, uh, for the Carolina Mudcats, uh, you're going to see uh, Cam Regner, the uh, Beloit native, he was selected as an all-star off that uh, team, also uh, Marcos Diplon, uh, infielder Tucker Newhouse and catcher uh, Max McDowell all selected for that All-Star game that's going to be played uh, there in Zebulon. And then finally, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers up and down first half of the season. I am really intrigued by what's going to happen with the Timber Rattlers in the second half of the season because there's some interesting parts on that team. And they may have even played a little bit better in the first half than uh, folks expected. They they struggled down the stretch of the first half, losing six in a row. To finish with a first half record of 31 and 38, but they spent a lot of the first half kind of flirting with 500, and that's not a bad group right there. So we'll see what happens, and if uh, they're able to uh, make some sort of run in the second half, they're getting ready for uh, their uh, All Star game. The Midwest uh, League All Star game is going to be coming up in Lansing, Michigan this week, and the Timber Rattlers, uh, who were selected, outfielder uh, Demi Ormilloy, also a catcher Peyton Henry, who's been really really good and pitcher Dylan File all make it onto the squad. Short season is uh, opening up around the Brewers minor league system. The Helena Brewers so far they have played three games as we are talking on uh, on Sunday night and they sit with a 2-on-1 record. Also want to mention the various uh, draft picks who have been signed so far by the Brewers and some of these guys we'll see playing right away in short season. Uh, Micah Bello, who was uh, picked in that compensatory. Uh, story round between the second and third round he is the highest draft pick to be assigned he's an outfielder from a high school in Hawaii he's going to get assigned to uh, Arizona Aaron Ashby signs. His deal was just a little bit above slot. He's a Juco pitcher from uh, the state of Missouri. Uh, He is going to go to Helena. He was the fourth-round pick. Justin Jarvis, a fifth-round pick from uh, Lake Norman High School in North Carolina. He has signed his deal. He is being signed to uh, Arizona. Uh, David Fry, seventh-round pick out of Northwestern State University. Uh, He is going to head to Helena as he signs his deal. Luis Gonzalez has uh, signed his deal. He is a Puerto Rican that is going to go to uh, Arizona. He was an eighth-round pick. Tenth-round pick, James Henson signs his deal. Florida Southern College product, he will go to Helena. Uh, then a few guys uh, in there who have yet to sign their deals from the 11th to the 16th round. The 17th and 18th-round picks have both signed their deals. 17th-rounder, Long State Beach pitcher, Clayton Andrews. He'll go to Helena. Also, 18th-round selection, Washington State pitcher, uh, Scott Sunich, he is going to go to Helena as well. The 27th round pick, Brady Chanel, has uh, signed his deal. He is from the University of Iowa. He is uh, originally from the state of Illinois. He signs his deal. He goes to Helena. Uh, you've got a 34th round pick in Michael Villa. He is from the University of uh, Miami. He'll go to uh, Arizona College of Central Florida Pitcher Franklin Hernandez, who was picked in the 37th round, he has signed his deal. He goes to Arizona. 39th round pick Caleb Marquez, who is a high school product, and generally you don't see the you know the the late round picks who come out of high school. Generally, those guys go to college. Well, this guy decides to go ahead and sign his deal. He will head to uh, Arizona, and then a bunch of other guys who are undrafted free agents who have uh, signed with uh, the team. All these individuals headed to uh, Arizona. Uh, Nova Southwestern University pitcher Peter Strelitzki, uh, Faulkner University pitcher Taylor Tungate, Portland right-handed pitcher Nate Bund- uh, Bundick, uh, Cincinnati third baseman Connor McVeigh, Louisiana State Shreveport pitcher Rennie Tolentino, and also uh, a right-handed pitcher from Tabor College by name of Mitch McIntyre, has signed a deal as well as far as those top round draft picks who have yet to sign still waiting to see uh bryce terang he was the number one pick with the 21st pick overall and then their second round pick uh joe gray he has not signed his deal yet but uh, you would expect that those guys would sign their deals at some point moving uh, forward so that gives you an idea of where uh, things are in terms of guys getting signed a lot of guys have been signed a lot of guys are still out there course uh, some of these high school kids that are picked in uh, later rounds even sometimes the college kids who have some college eligibility left do not get picked as high as they would like they go back and play amateur baseball for another year or more as uh, they try to improve their draft stock for years moving forward all right that's gonna do it for this edition of brewers Extra the podcast powered by wtmj mobile do want to say thank you once again to uh, Tim Muma for uh, joining the program from Brew Crew Bob and uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast that are powered by WTMJ Mobile
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers News Radio 620 WTMJ